This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. Brandon Johnson will be Chicago's next mayor. Angela Clay, her second time running for office in the 46th Ward, has won. Alderwoman Nicole Lee, she was elected by the people of the 11th Ward. Here in the 36th Ward, Gilbert Viegas, the incumbent, eking out a victory there over Lori Torres-Witt. Those are some of the highlights from last night's runoff election. And if you're just tuning in, I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. And throughout today's show, we're bringing you analysis and results and what comes next for Chicago. With us in studio is WBEZ politics reporter Mariah Wolfel. Welcome, Mariah. Thanks for having me. David Grising, president and CEO of the Better Government Association. Great to have you back, David. Great to be here. Thank you. And rounding out our panel is WBEZ education reporter Sarah Karp. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how you doing? And we're also taking your calls. What do you want Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson to tackle first? What issue is most pressing to you? Give us a call at 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. You all were listening along to the newly elected Mayor Brandon Johnson. Mariah, What was your reaction to what he had to say? Well, his victory speech mirrored his campaign, which has been a campaign that talks about being a mayor for the working, the worker of the city of Chicago, the teachers, the people covered by SEIU, you know, government employees who keep the city running, healthcare workers. And, you know, he he kind of continued to talk about those values in his victory speech. It was a rousing speech. Um, you know, in this victory speech, he didn't get into many details about how he's going to make these plans happen, really just stuck to like a, a celebratory speech. He also, you know, tried to start bridging this gap that the city's going to have to to bridge after a very divisive mayoral campaign, he kind of said to the people who didn't vote for me, hear me, I care about you, I'm going to be your mayor, I want to hear from you, I want to work with you, um, and didn't really mention Paul Vallis or kind of the divisiveness of the campaign other than to say, you know, good good job, good job, buddy, <laughs> on, on your mayoral race. Sarah, you were at Johnson's campaign headquarters last night. What was that like? So it very quickly, once he started looking like he was going to win, became a party. Um, you know, people. There was a lot of house music. Yeah, being a lot played. of house music. <laughs> some P funk. Some. You know, first we started out with like just when he wasn't winning, it was just jazz, or you know, it was like kind of so sober, and then it and then it picked up, and um, you know, at one point people were um were dancing, a lot of people hugging, um, you know, just people very very jubilant. I mean. Then afterwards, it was kind of interesting. Um, some some of the younger people came together. I think they were with um, an organization, maybe with um, United Working Families, and they um, they started cheering like, "We believe we can win." It was kind of made me remember um, when when Obama won. You know, I I happened to be where where um, at his party too, and uh, yeah, that it was it was that kind of feel of like hope and and um, excitement. David, what was going through your mind as the results were coming in last night? Well, I was looking at somebody who was at 3% when this campaign started and beats a pretty well-known person. Um, A few of the comments that he made, the idea of the revival and resurrection of the city of Chicago was just very inspiring. And the way he actively seized the torch from Dr. Martin Luther King uh, on the anniversary of the date of his assassination 
he talked about the civil rights and uh, labor rights movements being united here in him, which is great. But now that he's the boss of the city, um, not maybe in the Mayor Richard J. Daley boss sense, but he is now everybody's boss. Labor rights is something he's going to have to reckon with. He's got a police union, for example, that he's going to have to work with. And his own teachers union is going to be a significant challenge for him as he tries to keep the city's finances in order at a time of significant transition in the uh, Chicago's public school system, over which he will not even have much control by the end of his mayoralty. So it was quite interesting, inspirational, and I think he's probably just now beginning to reckon with the huge challenges that are now part of his job. I want to play another clip from him last night, because as you mentioned, he was relatively unknown six months ago, uh, perhaps even on the West Side. You know, they said this would never happen. So, you know, if they didn't know, now they know. So a little earlier, a little earlier, we played a little bit of Biggie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I was saying. Oh, that, that if you don't know, now you know. Yeah. <laughs> Mariah, how did this happen? Yeah, I mean, Johnson is is the underdog candidate in this runoff race. You know, he was out fundraised two to one by Paul Vallis. Um, you know, Paul Vallis w- was blasting viewers with television commercials uh, from the money he raised from the business community. But Brandon Johnson had the momentum from the Chicago Teachers Union, the American Federation of Teachers, the Illinois Federation of Teachers um, that really came with foot soldiers and funding. Um, But he ran a I think he ran a really good ground game. He was out, you know, to 10 to 15 stops daily um, in the in the final weeks of the campaign, um, holding house parties throughout different areas of the city of Chicago, crisscrossing the city um, and. You know, I think then then you look at turnout. I think you the young voters who turned out in this runoff election really helped bring him. And he clearly was able to galvanize the the support that Lightfoot enjoyed in the first round of the runoff. And that helped him push to victory, I think, last night. Mariah, you were at Paul Ballas's campaign party headquarters last night. What was that like? It was pretty subdued. I mean, there were drinks flowing. Uh, it, the, people were optimistic in the beginning of the evening. But I think the race got very close very quickly. And that, you know, started to boost people's anxiety and nerves, even before Johnson took his first lead of the night. And then once Johnson took that first lead, I think, you know, there were just people huddled around each of these TVs watching the election results and kind of saying they couldn't believe that this was happening, kind of talking about it in a way of like, oh, they, they already kind of see it as over, thinking that the mail-in ballots would have trended for Johnson had we had to go into today or the next day waiting for those results. And then that lead just kept on jumping. And then, you know, the AP called it and and Vallis came out. And so there was a bagpipers band that was preparing to play the party and left because they said it. they didn't think it would seem right with the vibe, you know, <laughs> as, as mm-hmm. bagpipers. And that's just a funeral. like Yeah. yeah. Bagpipes yeah. are played at funerals a lot. So right. It's going to be a celebratory performance. And then they started realizing there wouldn't be anything to really celebrate. So then they, they left. <laughs> And I noticed that when uh, Ballas gave his concession speech, some of his supporters started booing, but Ballas stopped that. You know, I, th- I thought his speech was pretty gracious, short to the point. 
Yeah. He's tried to really I, – I do think Vallis, it, it's not in his nature from what people have told me to attack. He he got really attacky on, on Brandon Johnson towards the end of the campaign, but he held out on, you know, directly attacking people for a very long time in the, in the general election to kind of just focusing – laser focus on crime, 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 um, and boosting police. And, you know, that kind of, he kind of came back to that um, sentiment in his victory speech saying, you know, now's a time to come together. He, he started to, you know, concede saying he had called Brandon to say, you know, every vote needs to be counted, but, you know, I, I have every, you know, thought that you're going to be the next mayor. And the crowd started booing at, at the thought of, of Vallis conceding and he kind of was like no 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 please please this is the time to come together he said he said Brandon and I have been in a lot of forums together we share a lot of opinions which <laughs> is, is not very true but um <laughs> you know kind of just calling for for unity now that the race is over they did have kind of a bond between them when you saw them at, at events there was not that personal animus that sometimes develops during the course of a campaign and that was gracious of Vallis to do this. It sets a good tone. Yeah. We haven't seen that in past mayoral campaigns. And so we'll see what happens, though, as uh, events develop. Yeah. And, and Vallis, you know, Vallis is an experienced conceder, if I might. <laughs> right. this, this is his fourth concession speech. And so it it, it is. I mean, I, I think there is a, a strategy and attack to it. And I think he did a good job. You, you know, one thing um, that's that occurs to me is that, well, well, Vallis was, you know, out fundraised and, and got his message out. He had experience, a history that Brandon didn't have. And for the last two Merrill runoffs, it's been the person with no, like, huge paper trail, with no, like, long experience who's won. And it's the person who has all this long experience that that has also it's been like sort of the their background that has kind of caught up with them and been the been the thing that that's been attacked. So I, I think that's very interesting because, you know, it seems like we, we want the voters, you know, are more likely to go with somebody who who they with the, like the person they don't know than the person they do know. You know, it's this idea of I want change. And that was the case in the 2019 runoff when uh, did Tony Preckwinkle win any Ward. I, she no. may have won her. No, not precinct. a single. No, Glory Lightfoot sl- yeah. swept the city. And it's very similar, Natalie, uh, in that we have somebody who has no prior executive experience and now has to run this big city. And, um, uh, and we, as Sarah's right, we get excited about the vision of the, what they might be able to deliver, and yet no track record of actually having delivered. Uh, and we saw with Tony Preckwinkle, she was dragged down by issues that came up. The soda pop tax. The soda pop, that's that what I was thinking record. about. Queen and sugar. So he, yeah. he, essentially <laughs> was, he, like Lightfoot, was a pretty much a clean sheet of paper. And, and the Burke scandal that broke in January. Right, exactly. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. that I think people successfully tied Preckwinkle to. There was this question in my mind of like, are, are, yeah, are voters going to take a chance again on a candidate that they don't necessarily know, can't look at the a long track record of um, – and I'm yeah, it is kind of surprising that they were willing because of how disappointed people were, many people were with Lightfoot's tenure. And the fatal flaw for Lightfoot of her kind of thin-skinned nature and defensiveness and desperation to just pick a fight wherever she could find one, that doesn't seem to be in his nature from what little we know of him, but let's see how it develops. Right. I mean, there there's not the paper trail, but he has one in office. He has... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been an elected official. He has been, you know, part of 
arguably the most successful modern labor movement that that the city has had. So voter turnout came in at a dismal 35 percent, which was similar to what we saw in February. But in that month, 40 percent of voters cast their ballot for Lightfoot, Congressman Chewy Garcia or Willie Wilson. Were those votes up for grabs? Well, obviously they were. But how were those votes um, coming into play here in the runoff? They certainly were up for grabs. And I think more than anything, the the race was to try to grab the Lightfoot votes because Lightfoot had really done very, very well on the South Side in particular. And those lakefront wards, especially four, five, six, were sort of the main battleground of that grab. And it Johnson, um, first of all, his message appealed down there, especially as the Obama Center and gentrification have really emphasized progressive issues, caused voters to think a lot about that. And that's probably when, when all the numbers start coming in word by word and we get a chance to evaluate them, I'm I'm guessing that might be where we see where where the campaign was won. Well, we do see a little bit of that. WBEZ.org has a precinct map that's up already. And the uh, black South and West Side wards went to uh, Brandon Johnson. Um, so that he expanded his base from the north side, lakefront area in, in Logan Square, uptown, Rogers Park, where he had. And then we saw Vallis get votes from downtown, downtown adjacent, and then the northwest and southwest sides. And then we saw places like Little Village and uh, Pilsen go for, for Johnson. But I'm going to pause for a second because we have Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson on the line, and we're going to patch him in now. Hey, good afternoon. Can you all hear me okay? We can hear you. Thanks for joining us, and uh, welcome back to Reset, and congratulations. Of course. Thanks for having me, and I appreciate the time that you all um, are making for me. I appreciate it. As the results were coming in yesterday, Paul Vallis took an early lead. What was going on through your mind then and as the results were trickling in? Well, I'm certainly grateful um, that um, the city of Chicago is clearly united around the values of working people. And there are working people that serve the city every single day. And um, I, I should just start off by saying that I'm, of course, deeply saddened you know, to hear that yet another um, lost has happened to one of our heroic first responders um, today, which is the second first responder that we've lost in the last couple of days. So uh, our hearts are broken, and my family will be will certainly be, be praying um, for um, this firefighter. And I trust that the families all over the city of Chicago will be praying for the family as well. And you know, uniting the city around values of working people. Um, that's why it's always been front and center for me. And as the results were coming in, um, it just really is a remarkable testament um, to the eagerness that the city of Chicago has to unite around the values of working people. And I'm very humbled by it. And that type of unity is, is a part of our strength of the city of Chicago. And I'm very much committed to, to strengthening the unity um, around everyday people. Um, who love this city and want a better, stronger, safer one. In his concession speech last night, Vallis mentioned he called you when it was clear that he did not have a path to win the seat. What did he tell you on that phone call? 
you know, what he said was he was also very much committed um, to helping me unite the city. And I thanked him uh, for his hard work and his diligence um, to run for public office. Um, it's certainly not easy. And, you know, he made a commitment um, to not just sitting down with me as we go through this transition process, but working um, tirelessly to continue to unify the city uh, around the values of everyday people. Are you going to take him up on that offer? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The same thing with Mayor Lori Lightfoot. She also reached out. She's very much committed um, to helping me um, continue to unite the city, and I'm looking forward to having their support. From a policy level, you and Paul Vallis couldn't be more different, and the ward-by-ward breakdown confirms that divide. How, as mayor, can you help heal or unite Chicago? Well, as I've been saying, I'm glad you actually brought it up because that's what we've been committed to doing um, throughout this entire candidacy. It has been an incredible um, journey. Our movement is multicultural. It is multigenerational. Um, from every section of the city, here's what we are agreeing on. This is how we continue to unite our city. Everyone, no matter where you live in the city, they know that hiring young people that ultimately provides a real preventative approach towards public safety because there's a direct correlation between youth employment and violence reduction. No one disagrees with that. We're all saying yes to that. When we talk about mental health care services, no matter where you go in the city, everyone agrees with that. When we talk about making sure that we bring Chicago home and that we work to address the housing crisis in the city of Chicago, no one disagrees with that. Reliable, safe public transportation, good-paying schools, a strong environment. What I'm getting at, we start to unite the city and bring people together around our yeses. Because we're constantly in a position where we're always being told no. And that's, that's been a, 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 um, a predicament that government has not been committed to solving. And uniting people around yeses, that is the direction in which my um, leadership is already headed in. And I'm looking forward to continuing to build the type of coalition that gets us to as many yeses as possible. Many of the people who did not vote for you uh, don't share your vision for reducing crime. They want law and order um, as the way that they see it. They're scared about higher taxes. They're scared that the business class is going to be driven out. How do you win those voters over? You know, I said last night that there are people um, who do not vote for me, and I'm going to be their mayor, too. Here's what people are, are, are worried about, that they're going to lose. And my plan um, doesn't set up winners and losers. In fact, no one should lose at the expense of someone else winning. No one wants their property taxes to be raised. I made a commitment to that. I'm the only candidate who ever said that. And so what people are concerned about um, are the things that I'm concerned about. It's a matter of how we get there collectively together. Now, of course, there are going to be things that we don't agree on. But that's not where we start our conversation. The way you bring people to, to the table is you bring them to the table around the dynamics that they agree on. And as I said, who is going to say no to youth employment? Who is saying no to mental health services? Who is saying no to addressing the housing crisis? Who is saying no to environmental justice? Who is saying no to a reliable, safe transportation system? No one is saying no to that. 
What we also are saying is, is this, that when you have 70% of corporations who did not pay a corporate tax, if you are a property owner, do you get away with not be, having to pay your property taxes? Is that an equitable system? And so these are the things that we are united people around. And I'm looking forward to the conversations ahead that will ultimately unite us around a set of policies that builds a better, stronger, safer city. I want to talk about what your first 100 days will look like. Who's going to be on your transition team? Who are you going to appoint to some key positions? Who will be at your kitchen table? People who are compassionate. And if you have some specific names, Mayor-elect, that would be great. I know. I know everybody wants names. How about we do this? Why don't you send me your resume? We'll put your name at the top of the list. Oh, come on now. (laughs) No, I'm just saying, look, I'm for real. Look, we, we want people who are compassionate, collaborative, and competent from every single sector. Look, I'm not playing. Okay, well, the Look, journalists it, want to keep their watchdog roles. So uh, let's well, let's look, let's go you, back to who you're, what you're, if you don't want to give names, what will those first 100 days look like? So let me just make sure I'm clear. People who are compassionate, collaborative, and competent, that's what we're looking for. And I mean that from every single sector of all of the different entities that will have a role in building a better, stronger, safer Chicago. And so, yes, if you know people, they should send their resumes towards me. Like, we really believe in an open process that attracts the best and the brightest. First 100 days, youth employment, passing treatment, not trauma, passing bringing Chicago home. Look, these are things that people are saying yes to. First 100 days, moving that process so by the end of that 100th day that we are moving towards training and promoting 200 more detectives. I mean, these are things that we get to do day one, implementing the consent decree. There are dynamics that we can invest in day one to make sure that universities are funded to come up with the type of policies that will ultimately keep people safe and move towards accountability. I've had this conversation with the top legal officer from the state of Illinois, Attorney General Kwame Raul. These are dynamics that we can do within the first 100 days. Finally, the cumulative impact study. Um, These are dynamics that will provide us with the direction where we can collectively come together to have an environmental justice plan that speaks to the needs across the city of Chicago. A lot of work to do within the first 100 days, but I'm up for it. We often ask women in this society how they have a work-life balance. But as a father and as a man, I want to ask you that. You have young children. How will you balance being a mayor with your family obligations? You know, some days I don't know if my kids even like me. And to be honest with you. Mm, that's pretty uh, typical, no, I mean, <laughs> regardless if you're in like, office. <laughs> you know what I mean? Whether I'm a mayor for mayor or not, you know, my name is Mommy Said most days. They just walk up to me and say, Mommy Said. I literally answer to Mommy Said. You know, look, I don't want to miss baseball games. I don't want to miss school plays, um, recitals. And so, you know, I'm grateful, though, that my wife has been an incredible um, support system for everyone. I have an incredible mother-in-law. Um, and I have an entire team around me. Um, believe it or not, yesterday I actually got a chance to watch two innings of uh, Whitney Young versus uh, Kenwood. My son plays uh, baseball for the Kenwood Broncos. Um, so, you know, we, we find time, we make time. Here's the good thing, though. We wake up together and we go to bed together. Um, and that those dynamics are important to me. We go to church together. We worship together. We pray together. Um, we laugh together. And, you know, we're learning from one another together. Um, is that time, you know, a little tighter these days? Of course it is. And so we make the best of it. Last night was a great night. We got a chance to actually have pizza night on Tuesday. So right now, Dad is winning. 
I'm just saying. And are those you kids know. getting the dog that you promised them? And see, now why you got to call me out like that? I'm That's what you told to WBEZ last but, week. But, but they're not listening, so why we got to talk about it? <laughs> no, look, I told, listen, here's what I said. We, we won't hold you accountable to that. We'll hold you more accountable to housing, education, crime. We'll pass on the dog since they're not listening. I, I appreciate that, but if there are recommendations for the type of dog that my family, the first family in the city of Chicago should have, you know, let's blow up your Twitter. Make some recommendations for the Johnsons. Is that fair enough? All right. Tweet to Brandon Johnson which dog his family should get. Uh, thank you so much, Mayor-elect, for talking to us today. And I know Reset looks forward to having you back many, 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 many times. <laughs> well, you got it. Thank you so much. You're listening to Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha and Simons. And we're breaking down last night's runoff election results and discussing what lies ahead for the city. With us in studio are David Grising with the Better Government Association and WBEZ reporters Mariah Wolfel and Sarah Karp. So you all were here. You got to hear our uh, 12-minute interview with Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson. Uh, what stood out for you? David, I'm going to start with you. Well, uh, he said it's all about people start with yes, uh, but he's going to be pretty quickly running into a lot of people saying no. Um, the consent decree, for example, he's the city's only uh, complied with 3% of the police consent decree. It's estimated it's going to cost another $50 million just to come into some kind of compliance with it. He's looking at a budget gap of about 500 to $600 million uh, in this year's budget. Lori Lightfoot, when she came in, said she faced 100 uh, $838 million gap, so maybe her job was a little bit tougher. And, of course, um, the school board issue is going to be challenging. So he'll run into plenty of no's. It's a question of how he gets past those no's. Uh, the idea of bringing people together around things they can agree on, that's that's great. And it's a really great mindset to have, but the reality is this is a really tough job with a lot of hurdles that he's going to have to overcome. Mariah? Yeah, I would agree. I do think many of his plans are going to require collaboration with the city council and with Springfield lawmakers in some cases, like, for instance, the real estate transfer tax. That'll, you know, require some buy-in from the state. And uh, that has been a long, hard-fought battle. Of course, Lightfoot did not support that. So we'll see what happens um, under a mayor who who does support the real estate transfer tax, which would be um, a sales tax on properties sold over a million dollars that would go to fund homelessness. Um, you know, a lot of the a lot of his ideas are going to cost money. For instance, implementing the consent decree and his uh, I you know his way of funding those ideas is on new taxes on on businesses on hotels and motels, a head tax on big businesses for $4 for every person they employ, um, and uh, a jet fuel tax on airlines. These things are going to require city council approval, too. So he's going to have, you know, it's he's not going to get in and be able to start generating this revenue right away, and he's going to have to build alliances on the city council. So there is, yeah, a, a really tough road ahead. And then you also have COVID-19 relief funding running out. And you also have Brandon Johnson promising not to raise property taxes, which fiscal experts say is going to be just like nearly impossible if you're trying to keep up with a $2.6 billion and growing pension payment every year as well while pushing through all of these new ideas. Well, they're, they're all right. <laughs> it's going to be a hard job. I'm just sort of like, oh my goodness. And yeah, I mean, you know, I, I can talk about the school district. I mean, it's it's not going to be 
easy. He says he wants to have, you know, an art teacher in every school, a gym teacher in every school, a librarian in every school. I mean, we haven't had this almost ever, you know, and and, and, and this is going to take millions and millions of dollars. And we're facing a fiscal cliff in 2025. It's estimated to be $600 million. And the only way that he's really put out that he's going to tackle that is to have Springfield give CPS more money, which which is a great idea. But you have to convince Springfield to do it, you know. And um, in the past, it's taken a lot to to get to get Springfield to to send more money. I mean, we are getting we are getting three hundred fifty million dollars more, or the state is putting three hundred fifty million dollars more into the the evidence based formula. Whether they're, he can get them to give more is is a big question, and how much more? Because he'd need a lot more. So I think I think that I think that it's it's going to be very hard, and and people are going to start. He's had such aspirational goals that I think that immediately people are going to be asking questions about. All right, where's this? Where's that? We had a couple of calls come through, so. Andrea from Peterson Wood says, as an educator for CPS, I would like for him to address the selective enrollment school system. How is he going to diversify resources and make them available to all students? And selective enrollment, for those who don't know, is when your child tests to get into one of the top performing schools in the city. And, you know, that's one of the the interesting sort of conversations that came up during this um, runoff because, you know, he... Brandon Johnson and the Chicago Teachers Union have, have always said that the, the real support should be sent to na- neighborhood schools and that selective enrollment schools stratify, you know, children and that they're against that. But in the latter days, you know, he, he clarified he's not going to close selective enrollment schools, but he's going to fully fund neighborhood schools to make them more competitive with selective enrollment schools. But there's many reasons why that is not the case. Natalie, you and I did a story last year about how fundraising contributes to um, inequities between the d- the different schools and how a lot of selective enrollment schools, because they they wind up getting kids who are more wealthy, they, their parents can give more money, they can afford more things. Do you what do you do to address that? Because if you don't address that, then you're not gonna you're you're not gonna see those inequities go away. You're not gonna see people want to flat stop flocking to the selective enrollment schools. We have Roberto on the line who also has an education question. Hi, hey, Roberto. Can you hear me? Yes. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I hey, can. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, just quickly, uh, felicidades, uh, Brandon Johnson, al nuestro alcalde de Chicago. Um, so one of the, in addition to like public safety and public transportation, one of the things that I think uh, Brandon Johnson and his administration should focus on is public school education, is our local neighborhood Chicago public schools, and bringing in quality uh, education and career technical um, education to every single school so that way families and students don't have to be in this in this pressure cooker trying to get their children into the top 10 schools in the city of Chicago. When we address that and when we support and we, we support and, and, and fund and provide the necessary resources to our local neighborhood schools, you'll see dramatic and transformational change across the city. It'll, it'll change crime. It'll lower crime. It'll boost the, the city's economic um, engine 
by providing our young people with a quality education and career technical uh, skills so that they are prepared for the future. Thank you, Roberto. This is something that Brandon Johnson has said that he wants to to invest in is is career and technical education. Um, I have to tell you, every mayor that I've covered and I've been around a little bit has said the same thing and tried different things. And it's it, there's many reasons I don't you know that 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 plans have gone off track. I mean, I I can remember you know there's a very detailed plan in maybe. 2006, 2007, 2008, and, um, you know, they were going to create all these schools that were hubs for career and technical education, and I, I, it just fizzled. Um, partly, I think, maybe because they needed corporations to to have some sustained investment, um, helping to do the training, and maybe that didn't happen to the extent that people wanted it to. But I, I think that I think that everybody thinks this is a very good idea, but it's it's not as easy as it sounds. This is Reset. I'm Natalie Moore in for Sasha Ann Simons. We're back now with more analysis of Chicago's runoff election. As Mayor-elect Brandon Johnson prepares to enter the fifth floor of City Hall, what is he going to do to build a better, stronger, safer Chicago, as he said throughout his campaign? Here to discuss are David Grising, president and CEO of Better Government Association, WBEZ reporter Sarah Karp and Mariah Wolfel. And we still want to hear from you. What is your greatest hope for the new mayor? Greatest fear? Join the conversation by calling 866-915-WBEZ. That's 866-915-WBEZ. I do want to spend a couple of minutes talking about Lightfoot's legacy. Um, She's been pretty quiet since the primary, Mariah. Yeah. Yeah, no, she really stayed out after, you know, her her stunning term ending defeat in February. And, uh, you know, other than kind of um, decrying her campaign, decrying a, a Vallis mailer that had her face and her quote on it. She has she hasn't had a single media availability. Her first one was today, actually, um, with Nance Holt, the commissioner of the fire department, to I'm sure talk about. Uh, mourning the loss of the firefighter who died. Um, and so I think she she might be taking questions right now for media. Uh, and, and I think I saw on Twitter that she mostly avoided off-topic questions but gave some advice to Brandon Johnson about about being patient um, <laughs> as the next mayor. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah, I, I, I think... Uh, I think Lightfoot has avoided all media attention. She de- she declined my interview request, declined an interview request for the Tribune, NBC. Um, but her voters surely spoke out uh, in the election last night going going for Brandon Johnson. And that was kind of the big question of, one, whether a Lightfoot endorsement would, would help sway in either direction and, um, and to – how those voters were going to split. I thought they were going to be more. I thought I thought Vallis would have taken some some of the Lightfoot wards, uh, majority black wards, but they they seemed to really have gone strongly for Johnson. Why did you think that they would? I just thought I think that you know the message of addressing crime immediately 
might have resonated with some of the residents who are, you know, disproportionately impacted by crime. And then you had Vallis really pushing for endorsements from establishment black politicians who I think he thought would help, you know, sway some older voters in those areas, including, you know, Secretary of State Jesse White um, and Congressman Bobby, former Congressman Bobby Rush. Um, but it didn't seem to go go that way. It had no impact, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> David, what do you think her legacy is going to be? And I, I sometimes think that we're in the moment. It might be a little hard to parse everything out, but what's percolating in your head? Well, I think there are three things in her legacy. Um, she intentionally set up Invest Southwest as a legacy project, and it has the potential to be one since both Brandon Johnson and Paul Vallis said that they would continue with that. And Everything Brandon Johnson says about getting at the root of crime at its source uh, kind of lines up with the Invest Southwest, bringing investment into neighborhoods that have long been neglected for generations. That's one. The other was the fiscal discipline that she brought to the city. Um, Brandon Johnson has said he thinks he can find another $250 million um, of waste in the budget. Uh, Good luck to him on that because I think Lori Lightfoot and her team did a really good job of squeezing uh, waste out of the city budget and, and the fact she was able to make an, an additional pension investment on top of the huge numbers that Mariah was talking about earlier is important. And if he can continue that, then we're in good, we're better off for it. The other one is is the policing. And that's where, um, in her own words, she announced David Brown a fail after his first Memorial Day weekend as police chief. Uh, you have to kind of say she just never did figure out policing, which is ironic given that her role on the police board is what really made her viable as a candidate. So I think those are the three legs of her legacy. You know, as a former prosecutor, it did seem that Lightfoot took a pugnacious stance many times when perhaps she didn't need to. Um, But I also think that a lot of things can be true in multiple (laughs) ways. Um, And so she was criticized for her attitude, but were gender politics at play? I think so. Sarah? I definitely think so. I mean, you know, Lori Lightfoot, you know, she, she, it's funny that she recommends patience because she didn't seem like the most patient person. And she did have a temper that, that we, that we saw. And um, she also held grudges, which, which, you know, we also saw. But on the other hand, Rahm Emanuel was no sweetheart either. <laughs> you know, Mayor Richard M. Daly was no sweetheart either. They all, you know, could get prickly. They all could hold grudges. They they all were, you know, obstinate at times. And the way people reacted to Lori Lightfoot, I have to believe that it is somewhat because because she was a woman. I mean, you know, I I think that that I think that that in a way she didn't come off as kind sometimes, and that that hurt her and maybe it's because women are supposed to be kind and nice and because the folks you named i don't think anyone would use the word yeah kind. I, someone, right. so, someone right. put on instagram okay wait a minute so we could deal with king richard we could deal with emperor emmanuel but y'all couldn't deal with little laurie yeah that's what that's what <laughs> i'm saying i'm saying that like that you just cannot ignore that i mean you know one, one thing i will say is that i i don't think that she was as comfortable like sort of being the politician that that they were in the sense of like um going up and talking to people and shaking people's hands and 
I, I mean, I never really saw her hold a baby or, you know, that type of thing. Um, and, you know, at least I did think, you know, Richard M. Daly and and Rom were a little better at that side of po- being a politician and that maybe that w- that was a little problematic for her. Um, but but I still think that, you know, had had she been the same person but been a man, it, the story would have been told a little differently. I have to say, I did not see it during the course of her mayoralty, but when she said that on the night she lost, it was it was a, sort of a little bit of a check for me as a male. You may have noticed by my voice. Um, and I think she has a point, I, as Sarah just very well uh, articulated. The thing is that Daly and Rom, you can say, used that temperamental nature that they also had to effect. They used it in pursuit of an agenda. And sometimes she did it in ways that seemed to undermine her effectiveness as a leader. And I don't think that's a gender-based thing. I, I do think, yes, I think maybe she was criticized more for it than a male would have been. But she also, I think, was not as artful about using that aspect of her personality as her predecessors were. Mariah, coming into city council, some new faces, um, some folks who did were able to keep their seats in the runoff. What do you predict in these early days the relationship between Johnson and the city council will be? You know, it's an interesting question. About a third of the city council is going to be new because of the historic, you know, uh, exodus we saw under Lightfoot. Um, and and I think Johnson has some built-in allies uh, in in the Democratic Socialists and progressives who were reelected and who are now, you know, now have committee chairmanships after the push by the council last week for a more um, independent council that's independent of the mayor. And and I think you're going to continue to see that push. Johnson calls himself a collaborator. You know, like every time you kind of push back on a plan of his throughout this election, he's like, well, this is a this is a working document. You know, like I want to talk with people once I get into office. And so it will be interesting to see if 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 he stays true to that or if he like Lightfoot um, comes in with a strong, a very strong vision and tries to use mayoral power and parliamentary and maneuvers to to kind of get that get that vision enacted. Mariah, can you get us up to speed quickly on what the council did last week? And do you think they were doing that because they thought Ballas was going to win or Johnson? I I think it was a I think it was a power, you know, when you look at the aldermen who led this effort, they were primarily, you know, Lightfoot allies who were who were powerful in this last term. But what they did was, I think, really bring in some of the people who weren't involved in that effort, more progressive and democratic socialist aldermen, and gave them some power in this effort, too. And so it, it kind of is a collaborative um move by the council to take power away from the mayor. And the way that they, they're doing that is by, uh, one, taking the power of, away from the mayor to name committee chairs. And, you know, as as we all might know, that like uh, the mayor's power to name committee chairs is one of the main tenets of how the mayor maintains control over which legislation uh, comes up for a vote in the city council. It's why mayors very rarely in Chicago have to veto legislation because they can control it from even coming up for a committee vote, which is required before a full city council vote. And so the city council said, we're going to we're going to take that power away from the mayor. We are going to name our own committee chairs, one, 
too, we're going to increase the number of committees. And so instead of having 19 committees, you now have 28 committees. And if you do the math, you need 26 votes to pass legislation. And so if you have a block of 28 people who have kind of banded together to give each other this power, you could see, you know, majority alliances um, for the council kind of working together. So I don't know, maybe you see more collaborative city council, but one that is more of a check on on the mayor. Um, David, how would you compare the Chicago Brandon Johnson is inheriting compared to what Lori Lightfoot received? Wow. Um, Lori Lightfoot didn't know it, but um, she was going to have a pandemic and um, billions of dollars in federal money coming her way. The pandemic was an incredible test of her capabilities as a leader, and she did by all accounts, did pretty well in that regard. We don't yet know what the crisis will be for Brandon Johnson, but mayors tend to somehow get into crises. Um, something that is completely different about the city today than the one Lori Lightfoot uh, took when she moved in the fifth floor is that we now have a casino under construction downtown. She had huge ideas about what that could mean for the economics of the city. She's expecting $200 million a year in revenue. I think she's perhaps has been overly optimistic about that. But uh, Brandon Johnson needs to manage that and also needs to manage the fact that the city's NFL team will probably be moving out and what to do uh, about Soldier Field. And again, as I mentioned earlier, I think the economics of the city, the city's still got really serious, serious economic problems, issues, but it is better off than um, the, than the situation that Lori Lightfoot inherited. So Brandon Johnson has something to build on. The trouble is that he has created for himself is the taxes that Mariah mentioned earlier. Uh, many of them are, are aimed at both businesses and wealthy individuals in the city. And you, in order to be effective mayor, mayor of the city, you have to keep that constituency on board, at least not working actively in opposition to you, and he's going to have a lot of work to do there. Whereas Lori Lightfoot sort of came out of that realm as a corporate lawyer. Uh, those were her people. Uh, they, even though a lot of people didn't see that when she was elected, the progressives thought she was one of them. She wasn't, and um, that proved to be the case. He is, a, Brandon Johnson is a progressive. He needs to figure out a way to get to yes, as he said, with uh, the, the business establishment. As you heard, I was trying to get him to say what he's going to do in those first 100 days. Uh, but we do know from forums that he has talked about doubling the amount of young people that we hire and the direct correlation between youth employment, violence reduction. Um, Sarah, what hurdles could get in his way of making that a reality? Well, for one thing, money. Because someone's going to have to pay all these young people who have jobs. And I'm, I'm sure that he's hoping that the corporate community steps up and he's going to put some pressure on them to step up to provide some of these jobs. And I don't know if they're going to be, you know, they're going to be all that willing. Also, um, one of the intricacies is that youth employment programs have been shown to to help um, reduce crime among the participants. But... There's many elements of the programs that work, and there's a lot of programs that don't work. And so I think that, you know, looking at some of the programs that really work, one of which is that you can't just pay kids um, a stipend that is that is not really paying them like an hourly wage. Um, those programs don't work as well. Um, 
there, there's a lot of elements. There's, there's a lot of studies on these. So I think that, that in order to devise a program that really does get to the root causes of crime through youth employment, you really have to look at the programs and, and, and put a lot of money behind it. And then you're going to have to convince the kids to uh, sign themselves up. Because I know in the past we've had some youth employment programs that have not been fully um, participated We've been speaking with WBZ reporters Sarah Karp and Mariah Wolfel and Better Government Association President uh, and CEO David Grising. Thank you for joining me today as we broke down last night. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us.